Welcome to Pest Pods, Tales from Danubia and Beyond. I'm Mark McCaffrey. In our first episode of this grand experiment to interview young people in Central Europe about their experiences and views of the world, we speak with teenager Lily Heller, granddaughter of philosopher Agnes Heller. We begin our conversation talking about how Hungarians are often regarded as pessimists and Americans as somewhat naive optimists. I know what you're talking about. I have experienced this uh, sometimes um, unreasonable, positive uh, attitude. Yes. Um, and sometimes it's quite interesting. Yes. <laughs> Even confusing for me. Yeah. How so? Well, I, I am usually a very realistic person. If not pessimistic, I would not like to be called a pessimistic person, but I do like to think about the world um, in a very realistic way. I like to analyze situations. Um, I don't ex- uh, I don't expect people to to be nice, to be friendly. Uh, I know that many people have um, certain motives that might not be um, well. So, are the average, in, in your experience, the average Hungarian is a bit pessimistic? Yes, a bit pessimistic. Um, but for uh, obvious reasons. I mean, the 20th century was difficult, and life before that was maybe even more difficult. Yes. So it's probably because of the, the politics that people are pessimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, after the communist regime changed... Um, Everybody thought that suddenly something's going to happen in this country. People are going to be wealthy. People are going to um, live like everybody in the West does. Mm-hmm. Um, but sooner or later, we had to find out that this is not the situation. Just like I told you before, um, with the example from the Bible, a generation that was raised in, under a certain regime um, cannot adjust easily to a new one. So people who were born during communism, um, certainly they faced problems um, adjusting to democracy, adjusting to capitalism. And, and this is something that has been very, um, has been a major issue of the Hungarian people. It has been um, the source of many um, economical issues, for example. So, so Hungarian people, I think the source of their pessimism comes from, um, from this period when everybody had so high hopes about the future, everybody expected to, to have this flourishing um, economy and then Think happen because obviously uh, changes in the system. It takes a lot of time to establish. So, so you were born after the communist era finished. Uh, yes, I was born approximately ten years after that. So I was born in '98. Uh, but still, my parents were raised under the communist um, regime. But not my father, because they moved to Australia when he was 13. Right. So you, I was reading a little bit uh, about your family background 
from reading about your grandmother, mm -hmm. and you told me the other time that we met uh, a little bit about her, but uh, it's an incredible story, and uh, I wonder how you feel about the, the, this history of your great-grandfather, uh, who is, I think, a, kind of a Jewish leader here. In, My great-grandfather. Yeah, your grandmother's father. Yes. Who helped uh, some of the Jews here leave, but then he ended up in Auschwitz himself. Is that yes. right? That's a, a really sad story, but really interesting. I'm actually doing research um, on my family background, family's background, and and I did encounter the story of my great grandfather. Uh, he he was actually a lawyer. Um, yeah. I don't know how much you know about. No, him. no, I'm I'm completely curious. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's a really interesting story. Um, originally, he didn't want to study law, but um, his family's financial background was not stable, so, so his uncle um, gave him money to go study, but his only condition was that he goes and studies law. And this is how my great-grandfather became a lawyer. And... Well, he hated his profession. He did not like being a lawyer. But then suddenly, um, when the war started, he, he recognized this, um, this opportunity to finally help people. He was a really moral person. And, and what he did was that he uh, traveled to Germany quite often. Uh, he was a perfect German speaker because uh, when he was born... Um, Hungary was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, so German was basically his mother tongue. He spoke perfect German. Uh, he traveled to Germany quite often uh, and smuggled fake papers to, to Jewish refugees who wanted to leave the country. So this is in the 1930s? Yes, well, the end of the 1930s. Uh, he also, sometimes he also let um, Jewish people, Jewish refugees stay at his house. Uh, here in Budapest. Yes, here in Budapest. Uh, so. Work in uh, in Buda? No, it's in it's in Pest. Uh, in, in this in the Jewish part yes. of the city well, here. I, I should know the exact street, but unfortunately I don't. Yeah. Uh, yes. So. You know, it might be interesting. I'm just thinking out loud that uh, it might be interesting to to research that and. Yeah, I, Definitely. I'm just, uh, this is something I'm doing right now. Great, fantastic. I'm researching the story. <laughs> uh, so yes, it is a very unique story because you, I'm sure you have heard many stories about. Great, thank you very much. Enjoy. So, did you want anything to eat, or you? No, no, thank you. Sure? Yeah, I'm fine. So I'm sure you've heard many stories about non-Jewish people saving Jews during the Holocaust. Yeah. Now, my great grandfather did this while being a Jew himself. Yeah. So this is something really... So was he really a practicing Jew? Or? No. No, he was not religious. Um, so a lot of people maybe didn't even know that, like when he went to Germany... No, they didn't know. It's really interesting because he was blonde, he had blue eyes, and... And many of his friends said, uh, his name was Paul, many of his friends said, Paul, why don't you just convert to Christianity? Nobody would ever know that you were a Jew. And what he said is that one does not leave a sinking ship. He said that 
just because he's not practicing Jew, he's not going to um, turn his back on his, his culture and his inheritance. So, so he was a really special person. Indeed. So have you ever spoken with your grandmother about her father? Uh, well, I've interviewed my grandmother um, as part of my project. And, and she told me many anecdotes about him, um, how he was a really optimistic person, was a really funny person, very adventurous, um, artistic even. Um, so, what happened that, that he ended up going off to well, Auschwitz? The, well, the Gestapo um, knew about this organization that he was a part of, um, that helped him rescue people. And, and when um, the Germans invaded Hungary, he was arrested immediately and taken to Auschwitz. Um, yes. So there's this very famous Hungarian movie now, Saul Fia, yeah. I think yeah. it's called here in, yeah, show, yeah. in the United States. It just opened. It's winning all sorts of awards. Mm -hmm. I, I, I haven't seen it. Have, have you? Yes, I have. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a really, it's it's a great movie, and I think um, it's a really intelligent movie. Um, something that interests me uh, is the topic of education. Um, I find it really interesting how how can we address the topic of the Holocaust, how can we teach people, uh, especially young people, about the Holocaust. And yes. what I think the, the greatest problem about um, teaching or, or addressing kids but with the topic of the Holocaust is that many people um, tend to, to shock these, these young people. They, they shock them with these horrific details about how people were tortured and murdered and and by time people become indifferent to the to the topic because it's just normal um, psychological phenomenon that if you encounter something truly horrific you try to uh, to become distant from it to protect yourself uh, and, right. and, and this is a or big you, issue. Or you kind of just, it's too overwhelming, I don't want to think about it, it's, yes. it's, it's too basically unpleasant. just turn around and act like this is something that has happened uh, in another universe, you just don't acknowledge it. Uh, and this this is a huge problem in Hungarian society because anti-Semitism is really, um, is present in our society yeah. and in this country. And have you experienced it yourself, do you think? Yes, I, I have. Um, well, for four years I studied in a Hungarian public school and many of my classmates' parents um, were supporters of Jobbik, which is an openly anti-Semitic party. Uh, and I've heard many um, anti-Semitic remarks or comments um, even as a child, even uh, at the age of 10. So, so it's really interesting. <laughs> it's kind of like a horrible cultural inheritance of, of many Hungarian people um, 
they they inherit this attitude from their parents and they just pass it on to their yeah. children without even thinking about yeah. what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I in some ways, that goes back to your our, our conversation about the Exodus and the the proverbial 40 years in the desert <laughs> because you need that generational shift yes. and, and yet it's difficult because it does get passed on generation to generation unless there's something that can stop it and that's why to me education is so vital, you know, education that tells people the truth in a way that they can sort of raise up their understanding or their consciousness mm -hmm. So, this is why uh, I love to think about the education um, of the topic of the Holocaust. So, I, I love to think about this. How could we teach people about the Holocaust? And this is why I think The Son of Soul is, is a wonderful movie, because its aim is not to shock the viewer. And of course, it's a really... Um, well, emotionally disturbing movie, but it's not aiming on shocking you. It's just shocks. It shocks you because you're a human being, and yeah. you develop this feeling of empathy towards the right. the characters. Um, they have this really incredible trick with the camera um, that you're viewing many scenes from behind um, yeah. the the protagonist. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I mean, I've, yes, I've seen clips, I haven't seen the movie, but I've, I've heard interviews with the director and the, the main actor, and uh, I think it's kind of revolutionary from everything I hear. Definitely. It is. Because it provides one person's perspective and how they are coping with day-to-day -day life to survive and, and trying, trying to be a human being and yet be in the trapped in this horrific situation where you're uh, like a robot in a way. It, it certainly grabs this topic and brings it down to our human level um, where we can actually feel what might be going on in the movie. We, we see the events um, as as the characters of the movie, we feel involved um, during the movie. And there have been countless uh, movies made addressing the topic of the Holocaust, and many of them focused on the horrific events, showing uh, more gore and, and terror yeah. to the viewer. Uh, and this is how the sound of soul is different. Because it's not trying to persuade you, it's not trying to make you feel sad or even guilty about these events. Uh, these events. It, it just shows you how terribly tragic it was. So, so this is why I think it's a really intelligent movie and is certainly worth viewing. Yes. I, it's not that I look forward to it, but it sounds like such an important movie. I really like your idea of the education value of it. Um, Thank you. Because it uh, it can open people's 
hearts and minds in a way that otherwise you can't reach them. I think that's part of the power of, of, of the film and stories. Mm -hmm. you know, Well-told stories can change, change people's lives. Yes, yes it does. <laughs> I'm afraid this... Um well, this shift in people's attitudes um, in Hungary, it's not going to be um, a quick procedure. It's going to be, in fact, really slow. But this movie um, contributed yeah. greatly to this process, to this cause. Although, I was just at a meeting earlier today. They were talking about... It was a kind of a scientific meeting. They were talking about government policies around water in the United States, water policies here in Europe, and how they have to bring together all these different countries and scientists and water managers and all this sort of thing. And everybody has their own agenda, everybody has their, their own experience, and things take forever and ever, and then something happens, and all of a sudden things happen very quickly. But you never know what that's going to be. And so, like in the United States, uh, you know, and, and of course this is some, somewhat controversial topic, and it certainly has been super controversial in the United States for many, many years, but, uh, you know, this, the Supreme Court of the United States upheld same-sex marriage, mm -hmm. and that was un unthinkable even 10 years ago. But slowly, slowly, people started realizing that uh, it just made a lot of sense because they knew people that were gay who were living together and were happy and not you know, terrible people or they were watching television programs and in some ways a lot of people give tele certain television shows credit for, for introducing gay characters who are normal, happy, funny human beings. Yes, there are many um, these progressive shows um, showing gay couples um, even having for example, um, the erotical scenes with with gay people. Yeah. So I think this is a huge step in in the history of of television. Yeah, and young people are certainly. I mean, I, I think this is probably true in many parts of the world uh, as a generalization, but certainly in the United States, young people are generally more progressive and open-minded. And yes, definitely. I so. Somebody is doing, you know, good education, or their, their parents are doing a good job, or some some combination of both. Maybe both, yeah. yeah. But uh, I mean, that's that, that that gives me hope for the future, and it's, it's certainly very easy to get discouraged. But uh, I'm really interested in your your research as your research moves forward about your grandfather. Or your great-grandfather, great yeah. And this is on your father's side of the family, yes. right? And then, of course, your grandmother is this incredible icon. I mean, you, you asked if I knew her name, and I, I didn't, but then I looked up uh, on Wikipedia, and she has this huge, long page and all these accomplishments. Uh, and I, I guess I haven't been paying much attention to philosophy, but she's kind of like a rock star, Oh, she is. She lives a really active life. <laughs> Nobody can stop her. <laughs> she is incredible. Yeah. So, so maybe, can you tell me a little, little, little about her and 
you don't see her much, it sounds like, because she's traveling. Oh, yes, we usually um, talk through exchanging emails. Uh, what can I say about her? Well, she... What would you like to know? <laughs> well, she's the, the, the daughter of your great-grandfather. Yes. And so what was her experience in World War II? She must have been very, very young. I mean, she could have gotten sent off to the the camps as well, and I guess uh, her mother also, but from the sounds, from what I read, uh, they were saved somehow. Well, they they survived the war in the ghetto in Budapest, so... So, there was something like, because I've been to the Holocaust Museum mm -hmm. here and read about how it, it happened very quickly that they, everybody was kind of con confined in the ghetto, that they were bringing people in from the villages, and then in the, in the span of a few months, they started sending people <coughs> to, to, the, to the camps. Yes. And I guess they, but they didn't send everybody. No. But Is this upsetting for you to talk about? Oh, or? no, no, okay. not at all. Um, was a process that that was um, well it was interrupted when when Soviets invaded the country so so yes they did uh, start deporting people I'm not sure when exactly it was around which month so your grandmother was fairly young. Yes, teen she teenager was. Or? Yeah, she was a teenager. Um, well, so that must have been an incredible transition period, where oh, the yes. the Germans were gone, the Soviets were here, it, and there was a was battle. It was pretty chaotic. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, the early life of my grandmother was really difficult and, and even tragic. So so yes, that period was, was really difficult for her. Um, her. She and her mother were um, well, starving after the war for a short period of time. And well, to be honest, she, she doesn't really talk about it. She... Um, told me many stories about her father, but but not about herself or her mother um, during this period. So I would love to tell you more, but she she didn't really um, tell me about her experiences or her life. Um, I know that she had a great relationship with her father. Um, she, she admired him. Um, greatly and and the loss of her father was huge tragedy in her life um, she she has many um, characteristics that she um, got from her father for example um, her optimistic um, view on the world her love for for living an active life, that, that all comes from my great-grandfather. 
So she grew up under the communist system and became a scholar. Yes. Uh, it's really interesting. Um, in her early years, she was a, a Zionist. She wanted to, um, to move to Israel um, and go through with the Aliyah procedure. But, but she was a, and she still is, a really intellectual person. So, so she said that I could move to Israel, but I want to study. So that's why she stayed in the country, because she wanted to go to university. And did she become interested in philosophy early on, do you know? Or? Well, I've heard a story that at first she was interested in physics, or maybe chemistry. And then um, once she, I think it was maybe by accident, she just... Um, sat through a, a philosophy lecture and that's when she realized that this is what she wants to study. Yeah, yeah that's always been something interesting to me is that uh, the communist system really kind of broke down barriers between genders. In other words, it opened up doors for women to go to college, become scientists, become doctors. And in some cases, I think there were probably more women doctors than men. And also, I've heard that the you know obviously there's been a lot of tension with the Roma population here in Hungary, and that, that uh, they became just part of the, the collective, and so there wasn't so much prejudice well, against yes, them. Yes, they they certainly became part of of our society, but there are still many problems. Yeah. Um, Regarding this situation, uh, many Hungarian people uh, discriminate against um, yeah. the Roma population. I mean, I see that in our, in our village all the time. Oh yes, this this problem is really apparent in villages. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah, there's a lot of very very negative and nasty comments about. Gypsies, mm -hmm. and then and they'll say, "Well, there's no gypsies in this village," but it turns out there there are some that are hardworking and have businesses, but they 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 want to pretend that all gypsies are the same and they're all lazy and mm -hmm. you know. So anyhow, it's, it's uh, in some ways it reminds me of the, the prejudice I see in the United States towards uh, black people, towards African American people. I think it's a lot worse. Yeah, I think it's a lot worse because, well, I am not sure this is just based on my personal um, experiences, but there is this certain um, taboo of being racist in, in the American society yeah. in, in certain um, circles. Now this taboo doesn't exist in Hungary. Mm -hmm. It's okay to be racist. Yes, it's it's okay <laughs> to be racist. Well, not in, in inside more intellectual circles, but but the general population is racist up to some extent. Uh, actually, it's really interesting because um, being racist is is not something people admit. Um, there are so many people who discriminate against gypsies, and they do not admit that they are racist. They they say. 
I'm not racist. I'm just telling you know, the truth. I, I'm yeah. telling the truth. Yeah, this is what I experience. This is what I see. I'm not racist. Uh, I'm objective. <laughs> so yes, it is a huge problem here in Hungary. Um, many people complain about anti-Semitism and I think the discrimination against gypsies is a lot worse. It's horrible. So you've seen that just from your own observations? And yes, and, and the problem is that this is a really difficult situation because in, uh, in many cases um, people from the gypsy community do contribute to um, to building these negative st uh, stereotypes because especially in villages um, the gypsy population uh, lives in really bad conditions people don't have jobs people um, do not have the, the opportunity to educate their children and, and this is why many people become uh, criminals this is why they steal, they mock people on the streets um, so, so yes, this is a really complex problem, and it's really hard to address because um, both parties have some uh, realistic base um, to their arguments. So, so yes, it is really complicated. Yeah, we live in Nograd County, and there's a I think it may have the highest population of. Uh, Gypsies in, in yes, all of Hungary. Yes, and it's one of the most uh, poor counties. Yeah, it is. Of Hungary. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have a friend who is working to bring EU money in for rural development in, in Nograd, and mm -hmm. uh, so we talk with her a lot about uh, possible projects to help lift up the people and mm -hmm. bring education. And, and you know, bring money that can be well used rather than. I think a lot of people they'll say, "Well, how can we get EU money just so we get get a lot of money? It doesn't matter what we have to do." And our, our friend is more interested in what can we do to, that would really make a difference. So, and education is we we all. Always come back to education as yes, something that's of course. vital. Education is, is the key to everything. It is. Yeah. Um, I I am a member of uh, of this um, non-government organization. It's uh, it's kind of like a, a charity organization, and um, sometimes we visit these really poor villages. Uh, for example, in Nogad County. Um, and deliver um, um, donations to to these people, um, mostly gypsy families, and we see how um, hopeless the situation is right now, because these people they have nothing to do. They um, they don't have job options. Their children. Um, I just don't understand the importance of education and why would they? Why would they? Uh, if they study, that's not going to help them put food on the table. That's, if they go to university, if they ever get to university, um, how are they going to um, finance it? 
how are they yeah. going to manage it financially. Yeah. Um, and, and this is just a really vicious circle. Um, many young people need to, to start working at the age of 16 um, because it's the only way to, um, to sustain a fam yeah. family. So what's the name of the organization that you mentioned? It's called uh, MOST, M-O-S-T. Uh, it's a really new organization. Oh. Um, I actually found it back in November, October. Oh. Uh, a okay. group of, of teenagers. It's really Fantastic. exciting. Um, one of my classmates came up to me and he said, Lily, we're going to, to form an organization with a few of my friends. Would you like to join in? And I said, yes, Great. absolutely. So about five or six of us, um, a bunch of, of teenagers, we... Um, wow, that's thing. really exciting. And thank you. And we already had a few um, charity events already. Um, well, basically, we we do many things. We deliver donations um, to poor villages. Um, we've been to to Vienna a few times, visiting refugee camps, playing with the refugee children, wow. for example. Huh. Um, that's something I love to do. It's incredible, yeah. and it's really um, rewarding emotionally to, yeah. to be with these children yeah. all day and play with them. It's great. That's it for this episode of Pesht Pods. I'm Mark McCaffrey. Join us next time as we continue our interview with Lily Hiller, a budding philosopher with keen insights into life as a young woman growing up in Hungary. Pesh Pods is produced and edited by yours truly, Mark McCaffrey, as a grand experiment. Now, the truth be known, I've always wanted to be a radio DJ and interview famous people, even if they're not famous yet. But now, 50 years later, I get to live that dream. Wishing you all the best. Take it easy. Ciao for now.